Hey guys, what's going on? My name is Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us. This is the Thrive Bites podcast, and welcome to season five. Here we talk about three things, plant-powered living, enhancing emotional resilience, and creating a thriving mindset. And I interview the most passionate guests here, ranging from physicians to coaches to dietitians to entrepreneurs. And my hope is to give you really informative and high-valued conversations. So please Follow us here on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and wherever you hear your podcasts. Come on in, and I can't wait to see you inside. So hi, everyone. Um, This is Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc, and welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites Podcast, and we are on location in Davis, right? That's right. Is the proper t- the proper city is Davis, not West Sacramento, right? Correct. We're in Davis. Okay, excellent. And mm-hmm. I am joined by my lovely friend and colleague, Francis, Dr. Francis Southwick. Thank you so much for inviting us, uh, me and the podcast, um, into your home. <laughs> it's my pleasure. I'm so happy that uh, that we found each other. Yes. Yes. Yeah. After many many years. That's right. Yes. <laughs> so just to orient the off, um, not the office, but you know, our audience is um, we first knew and met and worked with each other from the great old town city of uh, Lewisburg, uh, West Virginia, mm-hmm. um, where we went to school, uh, we trained, and uh, we became fellow graduate teaching assistants um, is the proper term. Um, but I think it's also called pre-doctoral fellows as well, um, Mm -hmm. in the department of osteopathic principles and philosophies. And we're going to dive deeper into osteopathic medicine, um, in a moment, but first, um, I want to introduce to our audience, um, who, uh, you are. And, um, I just have a little, uh, little blurb, um, Dr. Southwick is a full-time osteopathic physician, and she's also a literary nonfiction author. They currently practice in California's Central Valley, and as an osteopathic physician, they offer strength-based trauma-informed osteopathic care, including OMT, or otherwise known as osteopathic manipulative treatment, also providing gender-affirming care and medical um, uh, care for the queer community. And she's also the author of Prognosis Poor in 2015 that uh, came out, and just recently Prognosis Fair um, that came out in 2021. So again, thank you so much for having uh, me, and you know, thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast uh, today. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm happy to be here in my house with you. <laughs> okay, with you. I'm happy to be here like in yes, your own yes, home. Yes, yes, It's so good. It's so good to be in my own home. It's yes. <laughs> um, you and I share so many like fond memories. Um, and, um, you know, um, you know, the bulk of the interview is, you know, going to be talking about what you do, your current work as a physician, um, and also um, your latest book, um, Prognosis Fair. Um, but just to kind of back up and kind of help orient, uh, we are both, you know, DOs. And I want to, you know, whenever I get a doctor of osteopathy or doctor of osteopathic medicine, you know, on the show, I definitely want to continue to reemphasize what that is for our audience members. So, um, so why don't you help? I want to want you to be able to uh, help define what uh, osteopathic medicine is and uh, why, why, what brought you to um, first study it? Absolutely. So, <laughs> so I've always wanted to be a physician. One of those, you know, diehards from age four kind of thing. Um, And I learned more about what a DO is because my uncle became a DO in his later life. He was, um, he was a toothpaste salesman. And then he decided, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do more. And so he became a physician uh, by becoming a DO. And so that was my introduction. I learned more about what a DO is, especially related to OMT. Um, I've always been kind of a uh, tactile person, I would say. Um, I communicate best 
with people through touch. And so um, that's, that's what OMT is, right? It's listening with our hands, uh, treating uh, people, patients, clients with our hands. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful way to practice mm-hmm. uh, because it's really, it's open. I feel mm-hmm. like it's open-ended. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel trapped into uh, boxes related to medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I can often offer prescriptions uh, when needed, but I can also discuss uh, lifestyle changes really easily, practice OMT, uh, help with addiction, help with um, all kinds of... It's, it's, it's very wide. <laughs> Is how I would describe it. Very wide, open-ended. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, yeah, so I like the fact that you've mentioned open-ended because the way I picture OMM, um, has a, it's always like water. It's very fluid. Um, it can go in so many different directions uh, depending on the patient and what they come in through your doors for. And I love, love, love the fact that it integrates emotional, mental, spiritual, in addition to, you know, the body physical. Um, you know, for me growing up, having my mother as a Chinese medical doctor, she, you know, already instilled in me, you know, all this already. And so when I came upon osteopathy, I was like, wow, how come no one, you know, told me about this? You know, I only discovered it like the third year of my college, uh, of my university. Mm. And I was like, this is the only thing I'm going to apply for. And I did. So, right. yeah, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful way to practice. It's a beautiful way to have one-on-one interactions with other people, um, where we have a, a wonderful skill set mm-hmm. and toolbox to be able to offer, mm-hmm. uh, help in so many different ways. Yeah. Yeah. I think in addition to our, uh, allopathic counterparts, we receive 300 hours and um of manual manipulation and um you know i like the fact you've mentioned you akin it to you know reiki as uh, as light mm-hmm. as reiki but as hard quote unquote as chiropractic which a, you know a lot mm-hmm. more people can relate to um and i think massage therapy is like in between you know in terms of you know the spectrum i would say but it's great you know find an osteopathic provider yes. and go see them yes. <laughs> i think our professors from west virginia will be so proud yes. <laughs> um so uh, a question after that is how does the principles and philosophies continue to echo into your current uh, practice? Which, um, you, know, how, you know, how does it echo? Probably the most concrete way is I have four hours of my practice every week dedicated to only osteopathic evaluation. And the expectation is no labs, no uh, meds, only evaluation and hands-on treatment as indicated. Um, So yeah, I've kind of been able to cut out, carve out time, even though I was the first DO to work at my office. um, They kind of went out on a limb and said, okay, I guess you can do your OMT stuff. uh, And now, you know, I, I get so many consults um from my partners it's just it's such a great collaboration mm-hmm. you know uh, we trade patients back and forth ask for help um so that's the most concrete way but i would also say that it's it's just embedded in all of my interviews all of my decision making mm-hmm. um thinking about this sounds cliche but a whole person mm-hmm. right a holistic approach what environment is this person in what is their background? What's informing the decisions that they're making about their lives rather than just focusing, you know, sort of on minuscule numbers, um, but a larger, uh, a larger picture yeah. of what somebody's life is. I definitely resonate with that because I'm a very bird's eye view, macroscopic, you know, type of person. And if I can't see the whole picture, then it's a lot more challenging for me to you know, because I like, I'm a connector. I like connecting the dots. And, you know, in order for me to do that, I got to see the macroscopic view. So, 
Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, part of, uh, I know Dr. Lumley would be, uh, you know, proud of us because he always talks about the fascia and how everything is like, you push something over here and you feel it over there. And I'm like, wow. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I love that. Um, and, you know, on a more broad uh, uh, point of view, you know, um, because we talk a lot on this podcast about food and um, how it relates to the greater whole. And now we're, you know, now more, you know, we're talking about sustainability. We're talking about, you know, the echoing effects of all the ramifications, which we're not going to go on this uh, show, uh, this particular show, but it's huge. And as an analogy, it's similar to our bodies, you know, how, you know, something on your toe can be connected to your shoulder or, you know, to your neck. And, um, and I love the fact that we can connect, you know, and integrate those principles into our current work. Absolutely. The ecology, uh, the grand ecology and the microecology and how they interact, right? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Awesome. So the next question, uh, we're going to be talking about this book. (laughs) She is the author of Prognosis Fair, a trauma case study for clinicians. And uh, this is actually the second book. Um, and this got released, um, 2021 and there's not enough words for me to put, um, in terms of how impactful, um, when I read through this, um, it has been, you know, for me, uh, we were talking a little bit off camera about, um, so first of all, I I guess in a very distilled, simple, uh, simplified, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's pretty much a book about trauma, essentially. Right. And it's, um, you know, without giving away too much, it's really through the lenses of yourself where you're taking different um, uh, episodic memories and experiences. And you did a beautiful thing where, you know, you've also interlaced it with poems. Um, you, you have a Spotify playlist, you know, that helps people to get, you know, into the, you know, mood, quote unquote. Um, and, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, also a lot of great, um, you know, in the, in the back with your appendices, a lot of great, you know, action steps, you know, what to consider next, what to do next. Here are some, um, you know, pamphlets or handouts, um, that you could use in your offices or give to someone else. And we can go more into that, you know, later, um, essentially, um, you know, you've made it known that you've been a victim of sexual abuse, you know, growing up and you've been able to channel that, um, into your current, you know, work, um, also as an author. So this may be obvious, um, but why was this important to continue to channel this, you know, through your current, you know, endeavors, like, right. Why write a book about it? Why, you know, integrate that, integrate that into your practice? Because, for someone else, um, similarly that may have gone through a similar experience could easily just put it into a box, you know, um, put it away and never either one talk about it again, um, bring it up, share it, let alone share it and, you know, ultimately be able to integrate it into their, um, work. You know, why is the, is the question. What a process. <laughs> I would say it's such a, such a process. Um, I did not set out to, to make my experiences into a book when I started um, exploring my past and, um, and going into psychotherapy and um, just kind of trying to figure out why I feel the way I feel, um, why I was having, you know, episodes of panic or, um, or suicidality, things like that. Um, I, that was the beginning of the, of the book really for me was it, these memories kind of forced themselves upon me. Mm. Um, I got as far in my life as I could. I finished residency. I was completely, um, financially independent Mm -hmm. and secure in my life, secure in my work. And suddenly these feelings 
and, me and memory fragments started coming back. And I was really forced to deal with them. So I feel I feel that my brain really forced the issue. And through therapy and through writing courses and things like that, it, it sort of tumbled out and over a seven-year process uh, eventually became a book. Um, so that's the process. And wh why to actually put it out as a, as a book? Um, the most healing thing for me with my first book was putting it putting it out there with uh, a lens of here's some concrete ways that you can help yourself and try and avoid some of the pain that I experienced. Mm -hmm. Open up some insight uh, to kind of move move other people a few steps ahead. Mm -hmm. I guess. Oh, yeah. of, mm -hmm. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, just to move the mile marker a little bit so, so that others aren't suffering quite as much. Yeah. So number one, thank you, you know, for sharing that. Um, and uh, definitely want to be, you know, sensitive um, in terms of not just yourself, but everyone that's watching who may have experienced something similar or know of someone uh, that ex experienced something uh, similar. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's very important. Um, it is very challenging. I can imagine not having, you know, uh, a shared experience, but I can only imagine, you know, how much, um, I was saying to you, you know, off camera, how courageous and how much strength, I think a lot of strength comes from courage and bravery to push through the, the insurmountable pain at times, you know, to kind of get to the quote unquote other side to be able to share a story, to be able to, you know, use your pain, you know, for purpose and to help someone else, you know, like you said, move the mile marker um, and, you know, maybe save them some time, save them, you know, if you could refer them to a specific person or a specific resource, they, you know, for example, might not have to traverse a certain number of years of, you know, pain, you know, um, and uh and that's incredible i mean it's it's so much i definitely encourage you guys to go you know uh take a read and pick it up um so my next question what i love about you know reading through it is that you stated a few times that um psychology is neurology and neurology is psychology the first natural question is what do you mean you know um by that and um and then we'll go from there so I noticed on my neuro rotation, on my psych rotation, um, that the meds that we were prescribing, a lot of them were really similar. And um, somehow that was my route to realize that it's all one structure that we're talking about. We're talking about the central nervous system. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, person kind, we'll say, has artificially divided um, divided the brain up uh, to to different uh, sort of reductionist kind of pools. So one is a, a neurologist, one is a psychiatrist, one is a therapist, one is um, a mind, body, spirit practitioner, but. We're, Underneath what we're talking about is the central nervous system, mm -hmm. the whole thing. Um, emotions are part of the central nervous system. Um, it's, it's all one, one thing. If you go even deeper, really, we're talking about a whole structure, a whole person, a whole experience of being a self. Um, so I don't know how to talk about it without getting too far into the weeds you had there. But you had it's, talked it's about neurons. You talked about right. you. You went as far as you know neurons um, about how it was interesting because you would describe it as you know giving it you know sometimes space, giving it some time you know to be able to heal you know when you were you know reflecting on a different trauma, and I thought that was very very interesting um, because mm. it almost gave it its own. Um, 
personality in a way like you almost treated it as a you know a, a person you were talking to you know um and giving it its own you know space and i totally agree with you how to me it's like it, it makes the most sense you know i you know over the and we've gotten better over time especially with covid and the highlight in media with mental health to me it just makes sense because it's like it's all under one roof it's all under all this flesh and blood you know and it doesn't make sense to separate it, but to integrate it and to spend more time to figure out the connections we have yet to, you know, discover and, you know, research and um, talk about more of the connections that we do have that we, you know, actually, you know, have the knowledge base, you know, to have. Um, how do you feel like that has with, from a clinical point of view, you know, because we separated, how do you feel um, that has, um, I guess, held us back um, in terms of potentially mm. helping to diagnose someone, held us back from, I guess, you know, our patients, would you say? And if we did connect it more, what could we have achieved more? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I feel like I we could talk. Couldn't we just talk we for could. days we, about we, this? We could just talk forever. Oh, I know. But we have to distill so this into like, you, okay, know, okay. you know, 45 minutes, you know, an hour. Okay. <laughs> okay. We can do this. Um, maybe in an anecdote or something. Um, I walked into a practice once and a family medicine physician was making diagnoses as we do. We collect problem lists on each patient, right? That's mm -hmm. part of the chart. That's part of what we do. So we label people um, based on maybe a series of 1, 2, 20, 30 different problems that we're working on. Um, and this particular person, I noticed a pattern of diagnosing something called borderline personality disorder. And um, what I noticed is that that caused a sort of stigma of patients before they were even seen in the office by another provider. Mm. It labeled a person uh, potentially um, misdiagnosed someone when maybe a, another lens to look at someone through could have been what has this person been through mm -hmm. perhaps mm -hmm. why is their behavior uh, such as it is um, and hmm, there's so much I want to say about it Laura's <laughs> <Floor is> yours <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're here. <laughs> Just word vomit everything out. <laughs> okay. But I get what you're yeah. saying because like, hmm. you know, because the fact that we compartmentalize, it's almost like, you know, if you ever go to the eye doctor and mm. they're checking your prescription and they're like, oh, is number one good or okay. number two good? You know, so I'm, I'm visualizing what you're saying. Okay. And because of the fact that we've compartmentalized, we have to create so many lenses. So it's not just one or two. It's like one to like a hundred, probably more. Right. And, you know, because we haven't, in my opinion, haven't done that great of a job in terms of, you know, integrating, you know, all that, you know, we could have very well just use one lens instead of a bajillion. You know what I'm saying? So that's right. And in medicine, we often need to focus so much on pathology that it's it sometimes is difficult to remember to first and foremost see a person as a person mm. um, we focused a lot on that in in our work at wvsom mm -hmm. and then we focused a lot on that in family medicine and medicine is evolving in that direction um well, a, a therapist I had once, I mentioned this diagnosis of borderline personality disorder that I saw uh, uh, coming across in another provider's practice. And I asked what, what she thought about it. And she said, I don't think, it, I don't think it's a thing. 
I don't think it actually exists. I mm -hmm. think it's a label that providers use when they feel activated or overwhelmed by a client or patient's behavior. Mm. And it really made me think about what labels to use for people before I apply them. Um, am I being reactionary? Mm. Am I being withholding? What in myself that I have, what about me that I have not fully examined is informing what I'm seeing in someone else? Um, that's a big part of why I continued to do this self-exploration. Mm -hmm. And it has made my patient care so much more satisfying mm -hmm. and uh, sustainable. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I see, I just so easily see people as people who have gone through a lot of things to get yeah. to the, get through the door where they're having a conversation with me. Yeah. Um, I'm able to empathize more quickly and just jump to what's important to the person sitting in front of me. Yeah, for sure. So it's not just like, um, you know, not boxes of labels or diagnoses that we put on people. They're like you said, beautifully, they're people with, you know, these lived experiences and how do you, um, guide them and navigate, um, through these sometimes could be treacherous waters, you know what I'm saying? Um, and I totally agree in terms of, the self-examination, surprisingly, and having done, you know, my own self, you know, work journey uh, for like a very long time, um, it's so critical. It's so critical in terms of how you convey your, ultimately, your style of practice in medicine and the way you help people. Um, because like you said, it almost determines how you look at the other person across from you um, based off of, you know, whether you've gotten received physical, emotional, mental trauma yourself. Um, and, you know, it, to me, it just makes you a better, you know, physician. I'm not saying yeah. go out and go traumatize yourself, right? That's not mm -hmm. what I'm saying. I, it, it's more about having a deeper, taking the space, the time, doing the actual work to go through that examination process where, you know, ultimately you don't see that person across from you um, as a box of labels, but a person with lived experiences. Yes, absolutely. Um, that same therapist I was speaking about just described, described uh, what therapists do as you know, kind of act as mirrors for blind spots, um, mm. which I really enjoyed that analogy as well because it's so concrete. Mm. When you're driving, you have to have mirrors at different angles mm. behind you. You can't see, you know, we have sort of this tunnel vision um, and we can't see everything about ourselves. It doesn't always require a therapist. Therapists are really useful. But interactions with other people, introspection through whatever means that might be is so important rather than just kind of uh, sort of um, steamrolling through life mm. can be a bit dangerous. You can hurt yourself and other people, I think. Yeah, for sure. Because at the end of the day, you can't, in my experience, you can't mm. fully be in that, you know, we'd like to say, you know, put yourself in other people's shoes, but you know, no one knows the weight uh, of their shoes, uh, except for that person, you know, and I think when you do the self work, you can almost get as close as possible, but you can never, you know, put your physical, you know, and metaphorical feet into those shoes, but you can get right. very, very close, but you can't, you, you know, what I'm saying? so it creates this humility that is so such a relief that I don't have to know all of the answers. Um, and I can just respect whoever I'm speaking with, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and know my own baggage and not have it sort of clouding the interaction that I'm having with people. So, yeah, that's <laughs> wow. That was a, that was a great riff we had. Yeah, there. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, we're all about the riffs. <laughs> what is the opposite? So if we flipped it, you know, on you know, flip the coin around. If we don't take the time out you know, whether to do the self work, if we don't take the time out to recognize the person, uh, the person and not a box of labels uh, mm -hmm. across the way, 
if we don't take the time out to as much as possible integrate into one lens as opposed to a hundred lenses, what will be the ramifications of not acknowledging, um, of not recognizing um, all these different things um, that a person with trauma um, has gone through um, when we don't, I guess, open up that space, you know, for that part? What would be the ramifications? Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, if you are interested in having a consultation with me and actually see me one-on-one, um, the Chef Doc Lifestyle Medicine uh, practice has partnered with Plant-Based Telehealth and uh, we offer uh, lifestyle medicine consultations. So you'll be able to see me one-on-one and uh, I can go over your health history and seeing what we can do to fill in the gaps. Uh, we can talk about your physical health, anything from food to lifestyle to diet to setting up your kitchen to cooking preparation to grocery shopping to your mental health. Um, I think it's important that we build our emotional resilience to talking about your sleep and how to stay hydrated and what are the best uh, medicines if necessary, what are the best supplementations if necessary. And we do all this in a very concise manner and it's a conversation. I take the time out to listen. I take the time out to really understand you from the ground up and to look at all aspects um, of your physical, emotional, and mental health. And um, please, you know, uh, drop me a line, schedule an appointment if you want to see me one-on-one. And um, I am very, very looking forward to learning more about you. And again, thank you so much for visiting uh, here uh, at The Chef Doc. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. For the provider, um, I think it just creates exhaustion, burnout, feeling like you're walking in to each room with so many obstacles that it's impossible because your goals are to fix things. And um, God, that is exhausting because it's impossible. You, these are human beings. We're, we're human beings, right? We're not to be just sort of tinkered with uh, and fixed. Um, so that's one thing when that, when that load is dropped, it's makes practicing just so much easier. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, such a relief to go into a room like this instead of like this, you know? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. oh, okay. So that's one thing on the other side of the fence is our clients and patients, which, um, you know, if you're walking into a room as a patient and the person who's coming in and talking to you does not have the insight into your life that maybe you need, you're, you're not getting what you need. You're, you're coming in and, um, AT still. Uh -huh, okay. Uh -huh. Right. Okay. AT still <laughs> the king of osteopathy, the founder, he said, when you're working on a machine, you need to be a mechanic, not a window washer, uh -huh, right? Uh -huh. So if we're not understanding how everything works together, um, how trauma can inform, inform people's uh, behavior, the way they see themselves, the way they may um, choose to have relationships, jobs, how they treat their children, mm. how they treat their bodies, mm. what kind of sleep they might have, or, or um, just it informs everything. If you have unexamined uh, trauma and no one is noticing, including the patient, including the provider, the patient walks out uh, with a lot of things that could have been recognized and instead uh, understands themselves in, in terms of tiny labels, potential for, um, what kind of medications could be used, um, and, to, and so small rather than, rather than this 
greater view of what what could be done. Yeah, yeah. Um, how much time do you have with a patient in your I practice? I have the well. If you look at the schedule, <laughs> uh, their uh, patients are scheduled uh, every fifteen minutes. Okay. Now, um, to my detriment. Or, you know, sort of depends on how you look at it. Yeah. I ignore those uh, numbers yeah. and give the person in front of me whatever they are really needing and what they're requesting. Mm. Uh, so sometimes that means 30 seconds, mm -hmm. you know, of I need this one thing, sign this form. And I'm not going to turn this visit into something that they don't want. Whereas maybe somebody's coming in and they're fatigued and they're depressed and they have pain. They don't know why. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be a lot longer and it should be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. I, I bring this up because within our current, you know, healthcare model, it doesn't a lot, most of the time, 99.9% .9 of the time, it doesn't allow for, you know, cases like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And what's great about what you do is that, you know, um, you know, when you say trauma informed, what, you know, what I get from that, um, and we'll go more into that, you know, in a bit is that you are already putting out the intention. Um, you already put out, I guess, the disclaimer as you will, um, that, uh, that we're being mindful is that someone does come in with something with a you know, past or currently, you know, um, uh, present, you know, traumatic experience that uh, you already have um, the awareness, you know, the mindfulness of sitting with a patient um, and needing to take them wherever they need to go because that's what's needed for them. And that in that current, you know, space and time, you know, whatever the patient needs, you know, we're fully equipped to uh, help navigate, you know, um, hopefully I can, hopefully I convey that picture, you know, correct. Yeah. Uh, boy, there's so many, so many moving pieces to mm -hmm. seeing, uh, seeing a patient or client, scheduling them, making sure that everybody has enough time and the logistics can be dizzying. And, um, I try to just give the best care I can at each, at each moment. And, uh, when I have a new patient, I usually remind them, bring a book because, you know, if you're scheduled later in the session, it's, it's, you just may be waiting a while, but hopefully it'll be adequate care. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it, not necessarily there needs to be a quantification mm. of, you know, how much minutes or how many minutes that someone would need, but it's really the intent um, and for you to be fully present in that same room with them to allow them, you know, to feel um, heard and recognized and acknowledged that, you know, I hear you, um, you know, I, I, I see you, um, that you've gone through something, you know, really horrible and wherever we need to go that I'm here for you. Sometimes if you can correct me if I'm wrong, that's all, that's all the patient, you know, needs in the first, first, you know, um, uh, go around. And then hopefully that opens up enough space for them to continue, you know, with you. So many studies about what do patients really want from their providers and the ones that I've reviewed, it comes down to listening. Uh, and I think what I'm hearing when I see listening is bringing our whole selves really deeply listening and hearing and being able to filter that information through so much knowledge that hopefully we've gotten <laughs> by the time <laughs> we're listening to someone. Explain you're like right now on. you're like oh my god this question it's oh like we go gosh. for hours oh but I know what you're saying is um, you know I but I think that's one of the great skill sets of an osteopathic physician um, you know and just being human and you know I mean I don't, I don't care who you are being human is traumatic <laughs> <laughs> right. being human is you know there's so many different forms of suffering and different layers of suffering and um and it's 
bringing that experience um, into the work that you do is um, is incredible. Um, but yes, it's a lot of filtering. It's kind of like you know a colander, mm-hmm. right, or a strainer, and you're like, oh my god, there's so much crap. And then <laughs> at the bottom, at the bottom, you're like, okay, I see this drop down, this drop down, this drop down. Let me put this dish over here. <laughs> it just yes. can't kind of capture it all. But um, you can tell I love food analogies. <laughs> but um, but it, it's um, it's it's really about the skill set of integrating it, right? And you know, uh, distilling all that, um, and then hopefully taking that big ball of wax, um, and then piece by piece um, helping them to kind of reintegrate uh, to themselves, back to themselves, essentially. Yeah, being able to see a large picture and see things through a reductionist sort of uh lens and then can and then sort of integrate a person um in our minds is so powerful i think it's i think it goes for so many types of work yeah you know if you're a coffee connoisseur um, right, you, you, you know, you you learn about the people who who grew the coffee, and you learn about the soil, and you learn about transportation, and you learn about uh, how to enjoy the miles coffee and the roasting, and, and you know, yes, yes. When if you just went to a coffee shop, you knew nothing else, and you taste coffee, it's a totally different experience than knowing knowing deeper levels of what what you're experiencing Mm -hmm. for sure for sure Mm -hmm. and i can totally relate to that because i went to a um, coffee farm in costa rica and you know they were able to show me how they grew you know (laughs) the plants how they roasted it and different types of blends to you know i even planted i have to call them up actually after they planted you know my plant they're like yeah well we'll email you (laughs) see how much is grown and it's the same thing with ourselves um taking you know that growing process taking from that um, point a to point you know a as in growing the seed and the plant to you know b the coffee in your cup uh, an analogy would be you know that self-examination you know taking it back to the roots of where it all started and then how does that lead to the person that's sitting in front of you right and be able to yes right right Yes, I'm loving this coffee bean analogy. You're, you're giving me goosebumps. I'm like, ideas for the next book, yeah. the coffee situation. Yes, very good. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> all right. So the next question is, and I'm going to love that. I, 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 I love this, is um, for those that are healthcare providers out there, um, as well as people that want to learn more, is what is trauma-informed care? All right. How would you define that? And then I would love for you to, yeah, let's start with that. What is trauma-informed care? Because that's a huge bulk of what you do, what you've uh, informed us um, in your book. Um, Let's start with there. How would you bring people up to speed with that? An interaction might look just like any other interaction. So it's not always visible. Uh, trauma-informed care. It's having another level of understanding people and what happens after somebody gets traumatized and that those are very definable, um, sometimes predictable syndromes to be able to see. And once you know that, you can infer how this person probably would be most comfortable being treated. Mm. And so it's, it's trauma-informed care. I like how it's worded because it's being informed before you have an interaction with someone. Mm-hmm. So knowing, knowing about trauma in general and what it might, how those um, sequelae, may surface what that might look like in a patient mm-hmm. yeah so sequelae is a nerdy you know word Sorry. saying saying the ripple effect and the things that come out you know from said pebble dropped um, yes. <laughs> yes. Very good. um so okay so i think that's also great because 
even if you had a patient that you had did not have an idea, you know, they came in for a different reason. The reason sure. for a visit was different, but it leads to, you know, something else that, you know, alludes you to say like, hey, have you ever experienced X, Y, and Z? Mm. Or, you know, do you know of someone that experienced X, Y, and Z? Or how does this, how does your current symptoms or current um, concerns relate to that, right? So in a way, because you've mm. already built up having that experience and built up that skill set, so you'll be prepared even for some for like let's just say a healthcare provider that isn't quote unquote trauma informed. I don't know if that's the best way of saying it. Won't be as prepared. You know, would you say that as well? This this is an area that means a lot to me because there there's sort of a, a movement toward um, expanding trauma-informed care, which, awesome, mm-hmm. if it's done well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if you can imagine, let's just make it very physical, okay? Somebody comes in and they have this massive gash up and down their arm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they walk in and let's say they are not even aware of this thing mm-hmm. that's sticking <laughs> out of their arm, okay? It's like, wow! <laughs> It's like, don't you see that? <laughs> right. Um, so it's important to uh, call attention to it, but mm. in such a way. Mm. And it's important to anesthetize, clean it in such a way, repair it in such a way. It's not sort of, um, oh my God, look at everybody. This guy's got this huge thing all over their arm or... Let's let's dig in that. Let's let's just get in there. Um, uh, there are. It's very nuanced. So mm. on the surface level, it's really simple. Like, okay, I get what trauma is, sure, um, or I can you know understand what the criteria are for PTSD or complex PTSD. And with practice. Uh, a whole world starts opening up into mm-hmm. wow. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of ways that our clinic, for example, could be hurting people without even knowing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or just patients just being brushed, you know, along. And mm-hmm. I, you know, if I were to place myself, you know, in a patient's shoes, you know, maybe they're just like at the tip of wanting to share, mm-hmm. and because the opposite provider did not was not trauma informed or wasn't putting it in their forefront um they would have missed it you know what i'm saying definitely i i like this this other analogy too which i give a lot when i am doing omt Uh in the middle of doing omt right i have my hands on someone's uh, uh torso or i have my hands on someone's arm and i'm gently usually doing MFR, myofascial release, very mm-hmm. gentle. Hardly can tell anybody anything's happening if you're just watching the event. Yes. Right? Yes. You don't even know what's going on. So. so if you've never seen OMT, you might you know, think of it as just watching grass grow. There we go. Um, it's, it's sometimes uh, not much is happening. You know, right. it's not like a Michael Bay production. You know, it's not. <laughs> but. Sometimes on, these yeah. incredible things are happening. Um, that an observer might not notice. And it's about the grounding of the professional. It's about the mindful attention. It's about those hundreds of hours of experience that we have knowing and being able to predict what types of tissue feel what types of ways and how something's going to respond. Mm -hmm. Being able to get the rapport with the tissue with our hands before we start working on someone. Oh, I like that. The rapport with, oh, I like that. Rapport with the tissue with your hands. Okay. Yeah. Like a, like maybe someone who's a cat person versus someone who's not a cat person petting a cat. Yeah. Maybe they seem to approach it the same way, but their intention and awareness is going to cause totally different reactions in that cat. Oh, yeah. Right? And it doesn't even take a word. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't. Mm. Oh, man. Um, okay. So from that, um, from your experience, you have created an acronym. 
It's called Swept. I would love for you to share what that is and what it's for. Sure. Um, the SWEPT uh, acronym is based on the CDC's definition of what trauma-informed care really is, which, you know, there's this, I think, uh, maybe six, seven different uh, components of making sure that your clinic, your behavior, the staff members are trauma-informed and they're behaving as such. So these are things that uh, are based in awareness and also based in behavior. Um, so SWEB, so S is for safety. So the first thing, making sure that when a patient or client is walking through the door, they uh, feel safe. Mm. And that seems simple, but is not. And mm -hmm. sometimes takes practice with working with uh, lots of people of different ages, abilities, mm. backgrounds, coming through your practice and giving feedback about whether they feel safe, when they feel a little anxious. Uh, maybe the staff doesn't represent the clientele. Mm. Uh, maybe they, um, who knows? There's, there's so many different routes. Right, because a person might feel stressed or anxious um, and it's, um, it's different, you know, for, for in different instances for different people. So to be able to account for all that, 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 that's challenging. Like what would be, I guess what would, a natural question is what would be uh, a good example of not feeling safe in a particular office? Not feeling safe. Um, maybe the lobby is really, really loud mm. and, uh, maybe there's the seating arrangement is such that everybody is facing each other. What if, what about folks who uh, don't want to see you? Yeah. <laughs> maybe that makes people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so it's not only, it leads into other things, not only about being trauma informed, but just being like person informed, mm -hmm. you know, uh, which leads straight into the W, which is welcoming. So making sure that uh, folks feel welcomed. So a really um, kind of basic example is having um, diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings and including a little uh, rainbow sticker, at least on the front of a building. Uh, right away, me as a queer non-binary person, I feel just sort of this, okay, at least somebody knew enough to stick this sticker on, yeah. on the building to, to give a marker that I'm welcome here. Um, it's a very tiny example, and, uh, but, but that's the W, is feeling welcomed. Let's say somebody comes in who's a refugee, who is not an English speaker. How is that person experiencing coming into the office? Being a refugee means usually having been traumatized in some way already. So making sure that they're not waiting in the lobby forever, feeling anxious more and more, uh, making sure that they um, can speak in their own native language from the moment they come into the door. Mm -hmm. um, it's really kind of a fun game, uh, learning it's how like to- It's like a puzzle, you know, yes, because you have so yes. many different pieces that it's coming through your door and you're like, Oh man, how does how do we make this piece fit with this piece and making sure that everyone is happy? I mean, that's that's a huge challenge on itself. Yeah. There's another uh, uh, group that we've been focusing on more, and that is being weight inclusive. And so our original office had two scales. One was a standard scale that you would think of. Um, uh, patient comes in and stands on it. It had a weight limit of 300 pounds. Mm. And so folks who were over 300 pounds or who are coming in in a wheelchair mm. um, are immediately othered and immediately do not feel welcome and have had to be put on, put in a, a different area and use a different scale. And so uh, they're already sort of feeling unwelcome. So the E, um, E is for education and empowerment. 
And this is where it really starts to get truly trauma-informed and not just every kind of person-informed. Um, so when someone is traumatized, generally one of the hallmarks is feeling powerless and feeling um, a certain amount of their autonomy has been removed, revoked, um, feeling that they don't have a voice, that it's not safe to have a voice. And so E is mostly for empowerment. The patients and clients feel that they can give feedback. They feel that they can um, sort of educate and empower themselves and are not just at the whim of whatever provider is giving them advice, uh, but they're really able to start taking control of their own lives, giving feedback to us as equals, working in it as a team, basically, instead of just a like a kind of mm, subordinate, mm. I guess is the word mm -hmm. I want to use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because in 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 your book, you you describe key players um, in terms of you know a support team, um, and then you've talked about therapy, and then you've talked about so many different types of groups. What would you say? Because it's such a to me, trauma-informed care requires, it's almost necessary to have so many key players um, to help, um, you know, offer different ways of supporting that, you know, said person um, or patient. What would you say would be the necessary um, key players? So let's just say you have a healthcare provider um, that's listening in and wanting to become more trauma-informed, hmm. which... Um, uh, role, you know, key role players, what they need to either refer to or to bring in to make it more inclusive. Mm -hmm. To me, it's more about uh, like uh, education and connection. So, um, so let's say, let's say that there's a provider who works completely by themselves. Mm. They are the front desk. They are providing concierge medicine to five or 10 clients, and that's how they're getting paid. And they're working all on their own. It's still possible for them to be an appropriate trauma-informed provider. Um, what they need is connections to the community. Mm -hmm. So, uh, having connections and knowing where they can depend on uh, referrals. So, so to be really specific, that's going to require a, a therapist, unless that provider is actually a therapist too, yeah. which maybe sometimes we think we are, but not necessarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So having a, a, a mental health uh, support team member is critical especially for family medicine, when people are coming in telling us they don't feel right for whatever reason. And so often there's a, a neuropsychosocial component to this that needs to be supported by a mental health professional. Um, and then building other roads to whatever the community has. So the, the social work team, the, um, let's see, uh, folks who can provide food, housing. Um, our office, I think we are really nailing it. Yeah. So we what have, is, what is your, what is your we office? We have such as? a, such, such opportunity as a federal qualified health center that we have a huge multidisciplinary, uh, team within our four walls. We have dental, we have therapists, we have people who draw blood, we have diabetes educators, we have, did I say therapists? Yes. Yeah. That was the first one. Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> we, have we, can't, we, can't, we can't not emphasize that. We have psychiatry backup, um, we have uh, a whole medical records team. We have a referrals specialist. And I would say she is probably one of the most key players in our trauma-informed approach. 
Because if I place a referral to a cardiologist for someone who feels unempowered, mm. what are the chances that this is actually going to get accomplished? Who's, who's following up on that referral? Making sure that there's a workflow in place to assist a patient or client and actually getting the care that they need through advocacy until they feel they have their own empowered voice is crucial. So mm -hmm. that's how we make sure that patients get the, the other types of care that they need as a referrals coordinator. Yeah, it just it spells out how nuanced and meticulous that you had to, you know, go through. Um, you know, because, you know, being in the shoes of the patient, um, you have to think about all the different steps. You know, I love the fact that you brought it from the front door. You know, it's mm. like just when you open the door, you know, how am I going to feel? How am I going to, you know, feel accommodated or welcomed? Um, you know, just even to the details of where do I sit? And, you know, um, how are, you know, besides people of how they would address you and, you know, things like that. So, um, yes, I'm loving this. So, um, my last question, uh, last but not least, is what what kind of key takeaways would you want? Um, I, and I, I divided this into like three, you know, three sets of people. What are the key takeaways um, would you want a healthcare provider to have? You know, having read you know your book, having you know take away from this session, um, a healthcare provider to take away a parent of a, um, you know, a, an abuse survivor and ultimately, you know, the, the survivor themselves, you know, what, what kind of key takeaways would you want them? If you had, you know, a microphone, you know, if you had, you're on the intercom, you're on the PA system, you know, um, you yeah. know, what would you want them to hear, you know, from you, you know, um, you know, just key takeaways for those three parties. I would say if you're already doing work such as work on uh, racism, let's say, let's compare it to this. How much education do you need to be an anti-racist? A lot. I mean, it takes a lot of education to approach each person that you interact with with respect and recognize your own biases and boundaries and blind spots mm. and to be able to think before you speak even with that much education it takes so much work really to educate yourself so that's probably number one is do the work of educating yourselves about what trauma is, what it looks like, um, and do a little bit of introspective work to see what types of trauma you may have experienced and just don't want to think about yeah. <laughs> when you're ready uh, so that it can open up your world and make things easier for you. For sure. Yeah, education. That's for all three one. parties. That all three parties, yeah. all three parties. Um, because having someone come to you and say something vulnerable is a crucial moment. You have the capacity to help someone or to re-traumatize someone to close their doors of safety for years if you say the wrong thing. Yeah. And so that's, that's part of why it's so important. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um... Francis, thank you so much um, for sharing your story. Obviously, we didn't, you know, I don't want to, because I want people to get this um, and read it. Um, thank you so much for just showing up, 
being Francis, you know, um, you know, I greatly, greatly admire and respect you and have so much love for you, um, doing, um, just showing up the way you do. And I hope that, you know, um, through your work, whether it's uh, a patient or they, you know, heard you speak, uh, or watch you from this episode or, you know, read about your story, they can get, you know, the next steps in terms of educating themselves, in terms of reaching out, in terms of offering support or getting support. Um, and as a healthcare provider, you know, again, you know, we sign up to be eternal lifelong learners. And I think this is such a, it's such a huge part um, in society that's been kind of similar to using racism as a, as a analogy um, that's been under, you know, the rug, you know, um, and it needs to continuously be brought out. And, um, you know, we need to continue to educ uh, educate ourselves, you know, um, more and more. So um, thank you so, so much. Um, you know, I have so much uh, respect for you. And um, for people that want to learn more, uh, where can they get their book? Where can they come see you as a patient? How do they reach you? Great. Uh, you can go to francissouthwick.com. That is my website. Um, I practice in California's Central Valley here um, at a federal qualified health center. So you can find me if you Google me. Um, and um, yeah, I think. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much, Colin, for making me cry. And <laughs> no, that wasn't my intent. I know, but, but it, was, it was a beautiful experience. So thank you for having me. Thank you so, so oh. much. I appreciate it. Guys, thank you so much for watching another episode of Thrive Bites Podcast. Um, if you enjoyed this, please hit the like button, subscribe. And if you feel like someone else can benefit from this, please let them know. And until then, we will see you on the next episode. Please say goodbye to Dr. Francis Southwick. <laughs> hey guys, thank you so much for watching that episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you like this, please like, follow, and subscribe. And please follow us for the latest updates for this season, season five. And if you feel that this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and YouTube. And thank you so much again. And we will see you on the next one. <laughs>